Earlier this month, Beijing hosted the Winter Olympics. Did you even know about that? There was a very low viewership. It didn't seem like many people were very interested in taking part in that this year. So you may have not have really paid attention to the Winter Olympics, or maybe if you're like us, you really just care about the opening ceremonies more than the competition. The opening ceremonies actually are, are always really cool because every nation that night, whether great or small, whether it's a nation you've heard of or one you didn't even know existed, they all get an opportunity to be represented and celebrated. Every nation shares this same global stage together, carrying their flags, wearing their colors. Everybody in that moment is smiling and bursting with pride. Now, if we watched just that evening, just that presentation, and didn't know any better, we might think the world is doing pretty good. I mean, look at this incredible unity. Everybody's at peace, everybody's happy, we're all together as one. Sprinkle in a little John Lennon, and a, you know, a couple of Coca-Cola endorsements, and we, we, we've got perfect harmony, right? Uh, but we do know better. We do know better. We know, and if you, again, if you were watching the opening ceremonies, I guess maybe four weeks ago or a little less, this smiling nation right over here is, is preparing to invade that smiling nation right over there. And these people have been at war with those people for a thousand years. And even within the countries, I mean, think about us, for example, even within a country like the United States, which, I mean, it's in the name United States, there would be an assumption of unity, and yet we know, because we're citizens here, that even within our own country, we've got all sorts of issues that threaten to divide us from the inside, whether they be political or racial or ethical or religious. True unity, true harmony is a great idea, but the appearance of it never lasts for long. And a lot of times, it's only the appearance of it that we have and not the reality. It's just one of these things. Harmony is one of these things that human beings have just never been able to achieve and sustain. But we also should recognize, while we're in church and with an open Bible, we ought to recognize that, that unity is not a human idea to begin with. It was never our idea. This is something that actually originates within the heart and the mind of God. Now, whenever we talk about God being triune, God being a trinity, there's a lot of mystery in all of that, hard for us to grasp. But the, the general idea is this, that there is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God in three persons, blessed trinity. We sang that just a minute ago, right? Um, but one of the key points in understanding the Trinity is this, that Father, Son, and Spirit are all distinct persons, and yet they are one. They share in perfect union. There's divine unity and oneness and perfect love within what we call the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. So in John 17, what we just read, Jesus is praying for Christian unity we see the basis of this unity, which is all important. What Jesus is praying for, that they may all be one. That's not just a nice human ideal. That's not an Olympic idea. That is a gift of God's grace. That's something that the Son prays to the Father, that the Father and the Son might produce in us. 
And so we're going to talk about this today, how when the church, when we actually embrace unity, as we should, we're not reflecting the best of us. We're reflecting the very heart of God who created us for it. And so as we finish this great prayer in John 17 today, the prayer, y'all, it's got a very, a pretty clear structure. Uh, we've looked at it in three parts now. In the first part of the prayer, Jesus prays primarily for himself and his glory that he shares with the Father, verses 1 through 5. In 6 through 19, Jesus prays for his 11 disciples who remain with him there in the upper room prior to the cross. And then he concludes today by praying for all those who will come to faith beyond the cross uh, in future days through the message of the apostles and through hearing the gospel, Jesus is praying for us. He's praying for people in central Mississippi in the year 2022, okay? And uh, that's how the prayer concludes. And so let's look at it again. We'll break it down kind of piece by piece here. This is verse 20 again. Jesus says in prayer, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, not just these 11, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, Jesus, when Jesus prays here, he's not praying with his fingers crossed, uncertain about the future. Jesus knows that through the ministry of these apostles, empowered by the Spirit, that a great many people are going to come to faith in Christ both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you and this is going to be the outcome, that people from every tongue, tribe, and nation will come to know the Lord. And so this is something, y'all, that's still happening right now. I mean, in every part of the world where the gospel is being proclaimed, those who receive Christ are now included in this prayer. Every church finds its place right here in this prayer. So we know who Jesus is praying for, but now we get down to the request. You see it in verse 21. Here's the request, that they may all be one. And the first thing that Jesus prays for when he prays for the church in the world, he prays for oneness. He prays for unity. Now, before we get into definitions, I want to be clear with us what this is not about. Jesus is not praying for uniformity, okay? Uniformity means everybody looks and acts the same. Everybody always agrees on everything. And the, 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 the boundaries are very tight and stringent, and we're not able to be individuals in that case because we are uniform. That's not the prayer, okay? That's, that's how we might define a cult. That's not how we would define the church. Our oneness is not built on any particular culture or ethnicity or political party or style of worship or any such human boundaries that we might want to place around this. No, according to Jesus, our oneness is something that comes from God. Therefore, it's supernatural. It's not natural. It's not of us. It's supernatural, right? Verse 21, one more time. That they may all be one, that's the request, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. And so we see that the depth of this request, Father, make them one, even as we 
are one. Now, remember that the Father and the Son are distinct persons, and yet they are one. They are one in divine nature and divine will and love and mission and purpose. That's why Jesus can say, I and the Father are one. He says it multiple times throughout John. But now he he enlarges our perspective of how his oneness with the Father now relates to us. When Jesus prays for the church to be one, even as the Father and the Son are one, that's a unity that is born in heaven and now comes down to us. This is not human institution. We want to manipulate and manufacture unity because we don't know any other way. So everybody, let's, let's, all, let's pick all the things we can be the same in and call it unity. That is not the prayer of John 17. This is a prayer that takes place in the heavenly places. Only God can produce this. It's the very nature of God being communicated to us and in us and then through us. That's what Christian unity is meant to be. That's why Jesus says, you, Father, are in me and I in you, and my prayer is that they may be in us. That's why we say Christian unity is a supernatural reality. Y'all, it would be one thing if we, I mean, what is it that unifies us? If we said, well, okay, as Christians, we all have the same book. Uh, We go to church together. Here we are in the same room. We just sang along to the same songs. You know, we're, we're committed to the same rules of behavior. But our oneness goes so much deeper than that. I mean, Jesus just said it, that they, the church, may also be in us. If you are a believer, at your foundation, what makes you who you really are before anything else, before you're an American, before you're male or female, before you're anything, the very basis of your identity has been recreated, transformed. You are now in Christ. You have eternal union with God. The Lord has made you his very own so that you might share in his divine life. And so, y'all, what that means is the church is not just a group of people who happen to share geographic proximity and common interest, and, and you know, there's, there's all these other factors that kind of make us unified. No. At our foundation, the Scripture says, because we are in Christ, that we now share in a new life altogether. Now, nobody speaks more on this in the Bible than the Apostle Paul. Paul speaks on being in Christ almost on every page that he writes. There's one place in particular that's very helpful. It's also very brief. In Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says of Christians, he says, you have died, meaning you've died to sin, you've died to the old self, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. We are no longer what we were. We've been made alive, born again, and we are now hidden with Christ in God. Now, that's a very deep thing to say, but that's the focus of this prayer. That gives us an idea of what Jesus is actually asking for in John 17. As God has made you one with himself, through the grace of Jesus, he has also made you to be one with his church, with one another. 
Y'all, that's why when we read about the church in the Bible, we are called the household of God, the family of God, brothers and sisters, one of another, members of one body, of which Christ is the head. In all of those uh, ways of defining us, the common thread is unity. The members of the body are all part of one body. A household encompasses one family. That's why we're called brothers and sisters, children of God. Y'all, this is something that God has created, this oneness. When he creates uh, a family, he creates people who are meant to be unified. And so, y'all, that's why we say, and I'm going to keep hammering this in, okay, This isn't something that can be institutionalized. This isn't something you and I can manufacture. That's what we try to do so often. But we can't, because that's not real unity. In that case, we're left to our own sinful devices, and sin always wins out. Sin will divide us because we're sinners. Only if God actually produces something divinely can we have any success in the fulfillment of this prayer. And so if you've been given a new identity in Christ, as those who now belong to Christ, then we actually have the opportunity to experience real unity. And Jesus expands on this. He continues to hammer this down. Verse 22, he says, The glory which you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus actually says his glory is at stake and on display here. So he's really upping the, the ante in a sense. His glory is, is, is to be revealed through our oneness. Y'all, somebody finish this scripture for me. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Man, y'all are sharp, man. Romans chapter 3, isn't that a good one? It gets better after that, by the way. If you only know that part of the verse, you're kind of missing out. Being justified is a gift, right? You got to keep going. Okay, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's a problem. We on our own, apart from God, we are sinners who possess no glory, We fall short of his glory. But what does Jesus just tell us here in verse 22? The glory which, Father, you have given me, I have given to them in Christ. The glory that Jesus shares with the Father is now bestowed upon us, meaning we have been rescued out of darkness and brought into the light. We have been transferred into the kingdom of God's own dear Son. we, We made this point last week. The Christian life, is a walking, talking miracle. If you are a believer in Jesus, you are a miracle. You are living proof. I am living proof that God is gracious to the undeserving and the unworthy because God loved us and saved us. We have now received glory. We no longer fall short of God's glory in our sin, but we are now, we are to the praise of God's glory, Ephesians 1 says because God has made it so. We're a miracle. And this miracle carries with it a result, Jesus says. Same result he's already prayed for. 
that they may be one, just as we are one, that they may be perfected in unity. That's it. And so y'all, here's the big idea. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it in, a, in as catchy of a way as I can, okay? God doesn't just command unity. God creates it. It's supernatural. If God were to command unity upon us as sinners, we would carry an unsustainable burden, always trying to do what we know is good and right and never succeeding. And so therefore, God must create what he commands. By his grace, through faith, we are given union with Christ, yes, but also union with each other. That's the great work that God has done in saving us. It's not just getting us to heaven as individuals, it's making us one family as the church. And y'all, if God has done this great work in us, then now it ought to be our delight, our ambition, to pursue that great work to its end, to its fullness. All right? If you haven't noticed, God doesn't just wave a magic wand over you and make you as you ought to be. All right? Maybe some days we wish he would. That's not how it works. But if we have been rescued from sin, if we have been given the indwelling grace of God's Spirit, then we really do have all the resources we need to fulfill what we've been created to be. We're called to pursue this together. Y'all, what I think is the best scripture that encapsulates this call is from Philippians chapter 2. This is the Apostle Paul, where he shows us the, the divine origin of unity. It comes from God, but he also shows us our call to pursue it together. Philippians 2, verse 1, where Paul says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, if those things are present with us as they should be, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. That's the call. If you have received the love of Christ, if the Holy Spirit is present in your heart, then by the power of God, we ought to pursue being a people of one mind, of one love, one spirit, one purpose. Now, I, if you are, again, if you are a churchgoer, if you're a Christian, we, we talk, we like all that, nobody's nodding their head and thinking, or shaking their head rather, and thinking, not interested. I mean, we, again, we love the idea, you don't have to be a Christian to love the idea of unity. Most people wish it were so. We don't have to be the kind of people who simply wish, though. Jesus has called us to something and, and prayed to the Father for the resources to produce it. And so it ought to be something that we not only agree with, but pursue, right? And y'all, here's the, here's the kicker, though. If Jesus prayed only for the church's sake, I mean, that would be one thing. God, unite them for their own sake. But you notice he doesn't pray that. Jesus prays with an end in mind that is much bigger than just the church. He prays with the world in mind. Two different times he says it, but uh, if you'll catch up in verse 23, this is the second time he says it, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you, Father, have loved me. 
No, Jesus prays for our oneness because it's going to serve as witness to the world that he really is the Son of God. Now, that may seem like a strange connection, but it really makes perfect sense, right? If, if harmony and peace and unity, if that idea is thrilling to the human heart, the whole world at some deep level knows this is the way it ought to be, and yet we can never seem to grasp it. We can never seem to achieve it. What if there was one community of people from all different backgrounds, with all manner of differences, but who actually lived this way, who actually got it right, or got it more right than wrong, at the very least. I mean, what if a, what if a group of people actually loved each other sacrificially, humbly serving the good of others, forgiving and reconciling, sharing and encouraging, telling the truth, and bearing one another's burdens? And we did all of that while constantly pointing to Jesus as the source this is not something we produced. And therefore, we can know that it will succeed. It's divine. It could only come from the Lord. That's the witness Jesus is talking about. That's why Jesus said way back in chapter 13, by this all men will know that you are my disciples, by the love you have for one another. The world will know who we really are, by the love we have, the oneness we share together. Now, we should say again, unity is not the same as uniformity. So what that means is we can freely disagree on all manner of things. We can disagree on political issues, for example. Y'all, we can disagree on finer points of doctrine. You don't have to agree with me on every single interpretation that I carry of the Word of God for us to have unity. We, of course, hold up the main things as the main things, but we don't have to be uniform in every sense of the word to have what Jesus is calling us to be. And even at a more practical level, some of us like to hunt. Some of us like video games. Some of us like volleyball. We could go on all day explaining how we're different in the things that we love, that we pursue, that we, that we enjoy. There could be a million things that make us distinct and different. And not only is that okay, that actually helps prove Jesus' point. The more different we are, the more miraculous our unity becomes. Isn't that the truth? I mean, how could it be that people who are so different could connect so deeply and love one another so generously? How's that possible? Only if God has made the people new. Only if God in his grace has made us one. The more different we are, the more amazing that unity becomes. Now, there's, there's more to cover in this prayer. It's not only about unity. We'll get to the rest in a minute. I just Let me give one final appeal here. Loving unity, Jesus says, is a primary witness to the world. That's straight from the mouth and the heart of Jesus. Now, we don't have to go into detail about how the church is doing or how the church has done historically on this. It ain't so hot, okay? And I'm included in that. All right, we don't have to rehash all of our failures in this because our challenge is to pursue the good. But y'all, here's the challenge. And I want to say this with all sincerity because I need to hear it too. What if, truly, what if there were a, a community, what if there are a people in this world who can disagree politically 
and yet still warmly embrace each other and honor each other. That doesn't seem possible in this day and age, does it? What if? What if there are people of different ethnicities and different social status who treat one another as equals and joyfully serve one another? There are no hierarchies among us. We're equal in Christ. What if there are people who hear of needs and rush forward to meet them rather than checking where the exits are to avoid sharing, to avoid helping? I mean, what if there are people who respond to sin by graciously seeking forgiveness and reconciliation as opposed to holding it against one another and dividing over our hurts? What if people who are just constantly outdoing one another in honor and encouragement and humility and honesty and kindness and hospitality? The world should not have to wonder what that might look like. That's meant to be the foundational identity of the church. This is not an add-on. This is who we're meant to be. And y'all, where we fall short of this kind of unity, and we do, yes we do, but where we fall short, we acknowledge that this is not optional. We are not living in keeping with our identity. When we fall short, it's incongruent with who Jesus Christ has made us to be, and we want to correct as quickly and as fervently as we possibly can because we want to be who God made us to be. We don't treat this as a secondary issue. And so, y'all, it should be the desire of Harvest Church, and any church, that we would live in a way that corresponds to who we really are in Christ. Unity is simply living out what we actually are by God's grace. And so as we round the corner here, Jesus, in praying this, has not left us to ourselves. The Olympics is not the best we can do because Jesus has not left us to figure it out. Jesus is with us both, both now and to the end of the age and in the age to come. And that's how the prayer concludes. Look at verse 24. This is so wonderful. Jesus says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Now, Jesus just said he has given us his glory. That's the glory of his grace to save us. But here he's actually looking ahead to a future glory, which we have not yet seen. This is the glory of heaven he's praying for here. And you notice the word desire. That word strikes me. Jesus says, I desire. What does Jesus desire? That those the Father has given him will be with him and will see his glory. That, there's no stronger word Jesus can use for the condition of his own heart here. He desires this to bring us with him into the heavenly places to partake of his glory for eternity. Can I just say this? I, I feel like I've mentioned this in the last couple of weeks, but I want to say it again. God doesn't let you into heaven. That may be what you feel somehow in your own unworthiness. Maybe God will let me in through the back door. Maybe I'll just scrape my way in if I'm lucky. God doesn't let anybody into heaven. God brings us joyfully, gladly, graciously,
to Himself. If you end up in heaven, it's not God doing you a favor or grading us on a curve. You are a recipient of His grace through His Son. He brings you to Himself with all joy and celebration because God has graciously loved us with the fullness of His love through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so, y'all, by faith in Jesus, we are swept up into the eternal glory of Christ forever. That's His desire, is to have us with Him. He's not going to let you in. He's going to bring you in. And this is, y'all, this is another thing that unites us while we're here, is that we are a people who uniquely share one hope of glory together. This world is not all there is. And therefore, we unite in hope for the world to come, the glory that will be revealed. Now, that would be a great way to end a prayer. I would have probably ended right there. Future glory. Good thing I'm not Jesus, right? Jesus actually puts the icing on the cake in 25 and 26. Listen to what he says. And this is an appropriate way to end. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Y'all, if you remember, this was now two weeks ago, at the beginning of this prayer, Jesus spoke of eternal life, John 17, 3, and he said this, this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And y'all, this is how the prayer comes complete at the end. Jesus says, Father, I have known you, and I have made you known to them. And y'all, that's eternal life. Eternal life is to know intimately, personally, freely, the very person of God. Eternal life, therefore, is a gift that Jesus Christ has bestowed upon us. That's his ultimate goal. But there's more. Jesus says, he says, I have made your name known, and do you notice this? And will make it known. Which is to say, Jesus is going to be with us continually revealing more of God to us, that we would grow in the truth and the grace of God and deepen in relationship with him. Wherever you are in your faith right now is not where you will end up. Because by God's grace, we've only scratched the surface of what it is to know him and to walk with him and to enjoy his goodness. Jesus, primarily through the gift of the Holy Spirit, will continue to make God known to us day by day. Now, now look at that last line, okay, one more time as we close. Jesus says, so that, another purpose statement, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. Now, I don't want to push on this too hard, but let's consider the possibility that we're reading that right. What kind of love does the Father have for those who are in Christ? The same love that the Father has for the Son. The love with which you loved me may be in them. How close does Jesus intend to get to you?
as you have trusted him for his grace. Close enough for Jesus to say, I in them. This is the heart of God. That Jesus Christ would make his home in us, his people, and that God would love us so supremely. Y'all, when the Lord calls us to be unified, God has no illusions about our capacity and our ability to pull this off on our own. God knows us better than we know us. And that's why I said earlier, what God commands here, God also has to create. This has to be divine if it's going to succeed. What Jesus prays for, therefore, Jesus also has to empower. Jesus has to produce. That's our only hope. But that's exactly what's been accomplished through the cross and the resurrection. And so the church, Jesus refers to the church as a city on a hill, right? And if we, if we kind of close our eyes and imagine that image for ourselves, that there's a place where there is light and warmth and fellowship and provision and hospitality. In a world of darkness, there's a city on a hill that shines. That's the church. But how brightly we shine in the world is going to depend on how committed we are to the oneness Jesus prayed for. Our brightness, our light in the world, is going to depend on our commitment to living as God's people. And so let's make Jesus' prayer our prayer today. We can pray this, that we would be one, so that the world would see us and know this couldn't have happened apart from something divine. This Jesus they worship, maybe he is the son of God after all, because look what he's done in the hearts and the lives of this faith family. Let's pray for that. Lord, will you, will you wash over us, cleanse us, Lord, in the grace and the truth of your word this morning? Father, I pray that we would have a, a very clear sense of what we really are on our own. We are, we are sinful and we fall short of your glory, yes. We are prone to find any excuse to divide to embitter ourselves against others, to disagree and close ourselves off, to pretend niceness, we'll find any way we can to dance around the real thing. And Lord, I pray that if I know that about my own heart, that you, Lord, would would bring me into repentance this morning, bring us as a church into confession. We know we're not as we ought to be. We know we have not embodied this and lived this as we should. And so we pray, Lord, for the wonderful good news of your grace that Jesus has prayed. That because, Lord, Father, you have given us to your Son and he has given us his glory and his mercy and his grace to save, that, Lord, we really are new. We really are different. We're not what we were. We've died to what we were. And so, Father, help us this morning to see that if if we are a new creation 
as individuals, Lord, so we are also as a family, a new family, stronger than blood or DNA. The bond of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, would would you this morning intensify in us this belief? We really are one by your miraculous grace. And we may, uh, we actually can become more and more unified, perfected in unity, Jesus prayed. We can do that, Father. But it's by the same grace, the same grace that saved us, is our only hope. And so, Lord, I pray for Harvest Church, for my brothers and sisters, Lord, that we would, that, that we would drill down deep on this issue. This is not optional. This is who we are. And Lord, that we would not be afraid of it, that we'd not be afraid of losing ourselves in the process somehow. But Lord, we actually discover so much of who you made us to be when we unite together around the cross of Christ. Lord, make us, let Harvest Church, we, we're, we are a, just a, we're a little city on a hill in and of ourselves. But Lord, make us bright. Make us so bright. A people who are one. And and joyfully so. Graciously so. Because we share Christ together. Lord, what a privilege this is. Help us to take it so very seriously as we pursue it together. In Christ's name, amen.